you said, the way of writing at Amazon, right? I know that this culture also has permeated a lot of other tech companies. Why didn't you talk to our listeners about how writing, in your opinion, helps the thought process and the thinking and the concept? So glad you asked that question because that's what I was exactly going to dive into. After my first few weeks at Amazon, I learned a lot about writing, how they write, to uh, how to be very concise and objective and take ownership of the statements you make and not leave in any vague statements because you need to respect the person who's reading it. That is the point of view you look at it. So every email or any document you write, you parse through it multiple times to see if you can condense it. And more often than not, many people are very verbal and write a lot of words. A lot of filler words could be removed. And that is what will condense and get the point out to the reader. And the second thing is, I went to a workshop about how to write an Amazon. Writing well. And I had this thought of like, why? Yeah, writing an Amazon. And it is about, I, the nagging thought in my mind was like, why? How did this start? What is the reason? When we start meetings, we read through the document and then we start discussing. What is the reasoning behind this process which has been in this company? And the trainer for us made an amazing comment about it. When a bunch of people are in a room and we are discussing an idea, As human beings, some of us are extroverts, some of us are introverts, some of us have excellent ideas, but for various reasons, we not bring it to the table. But when people are given an equal opportunity to put it down in pen and paper and distribute it with the rest of the crowd beforehand, where you have the time to think about it clearly and put it down in an objective manner, it eliminates any social situations or uh, characteristic idiosyncrasies which may overpower in a social situation. So that was enlightening to me. It was an aha moment where I understood, okay, at Amazon, everyone is a leader and a leader is not always the person who is loudest in the room. It is going to be the person who is able to bring their ideas to the table in the most effective manner. And writing is a toolkit which is given to you to empower you to do that. Yeah, exactly. That's a very nice way to say that. That's. I'll add a couple of things to what Viswa said for people who didn't catch certain things that she said. One is every meeting, every meeting where you're trying to make a decision, it's not a status call, but a decision-making meeting or a proposal meeting, is started with a design document, a product document, a PRFAQ sent to the attendees of the meeting with a three-pager or two-pager, depending on, on the size, a document which the TPM or the PM has have written, TPM, PM or the engineering manager. And generally, the, these three roles collaborate in writing these kind of documents. So that goes to say, number one, a TPM is generally writing a lot in his job. It's at least 15 to 20%, sometimes even more than that, depending on the life cycle of your product, where your life cycle of your product is. But as a TPM, you do write a lot. I'm going to give two recommendations for books, probably in the blog. One is Lessons of Clarity and Grace. That's a beautiful book to read. On Writing Well is another really great book. I'll put them in the blog post for you guys to go read. But because 
the readers are just looking at that document and digesting that document and you can give them like 24 hours or 48 hours to look through that document. You have people who come into that meeting with a sense of clarity. So even if people haven't read that, generally we give them 15 minutes to read through the document to ensure that everybody's on the same page. Everybody understands the goal, what the goal is and how we're going to accomplish that goal. And the clarity of thought and the time that's taken to write a document like this Viswa, correct me if I'm wrong. In my organization, we generally take, if it's something brand new, it could take us more than 20 to 30 hours of several people putting in their time and collaborating and writing a document. It could take a week worth of effort. And I'm not jokingly saying it's a one hour a day. It's like at least 40 hours people could spend writing a document just to ensure there's absolute clarity in the goal and how we're going to achieve that. Totally. Yeah, you are right about that. So it also depends on the size of the document also in addition to it. So we have one pagers, two pagers, six pages. I think six pages is the maximum if I'm not wrong. But immaterial of the size of the page or the length of the page, the document has like a document owner and tons of contributors revising and reviewing with multiple levels of revising and reviewing it. So To your point, it takes numerous hours to get a good, solid Solid, document in hand before it is broadcast to the audience who are intended to receive it. It's a lot of effort, but huge results which come out of that effort because the clarity of thought that needs to go in there takes time. Yeah, and when we've done this, right, when we were building brand new teams or brand new products, it's taken us kind of weeks. And If you see where we as a team started in week one to where we as a team landed in purely the clarity of thought of what we want to do at week three or week four would be very, very different because we've consulted with so many architects. We've consulted with product. We've consulted with legal. We've consulted with marketing. We've also had all these discussions on the side to ensure that our clarity of thought keeps improving and changing. And that's perfectly fine. It's just an exercise that we do, right? So it's very interesting to bring that way of writing. I I thought that was a a good point. I'll add one more thing to that, Mario, if you don't mind. It is an excellent skill set, but Amazon has a wealth of resources to learn how to get there and learn how to get better at it with respect to writing and of course, all agile, product ownership, a law, SD, bootcamp, there are tons of learning resources in there. But when it comes to writing, we have several groups you can be a part of where you can learn better, get better at writing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So also, right, when you're there in the first three months, since we've been talking about what do you do in the first couple of months when you started as a new TPM, there's a tremendous amount of wealth of information like this what I was talking about, right? In most tech organizations, you have an extremely large wealth of resources. So there's definitely a balance there, right? Of trying to figure out where you spend your time and how you pace yourself in learning and what you need to concentrate on. Because it's very crucial you use your first couple of months on the right piece of things. Right, what do you say uh, Mario. Yeah, I agree with you. So let me talk to you about a problem I have with TPMs. We are always eager to start contributing from day one. And this was true for me. And this is true for the TPMs I'm helping on board right now also. Day one, the question was like, when do I start running the program? When do I start working on the design? I'm like, okay, you need to pace yourself down. 
<laughs> first three months which you have are really key to build the foundations and uh, establish the roots and make sure one is familiarize themselves with the processes right there's an organizational knowledge which comes with every organization which has been around as long as amazon has so those are the three few months three months where you get to indulge yourself in learning those concepts and familiarizing yourself with it and learning new habits bringing in new habits you had from the other organizations which are great amazon always welcomes that also some processes and thought processes will need to change to adapt to how amazon functions so this is a time frame when people need to pace themselves and in my opinion you should set up a roadmap for yourself you will be given a ramp up plan but in addition to it you know where you're coming from because the ramp up plan is standardized across all different tpms who come from different backgrounds and different experience and expertise so what i did is i picked which one of those really applied to me and made sure i cover the ground on that and in parallel i uh, started onboarding on the program and the people and establishing connections so that problem with tpms i had it too but if i would to turn back and tell my like one year ago self is to pace myself and trust in the system that you are going to get there pretty soon <laughs> and not to start there from day one yeah i think that's very valuable advice it's hard to overstate what viswa stated right now because it's really really critical that you don't bite more than you can chew i'll leave it at that So let's talk a little bit about we spoke about the TPM role so let's talk about adjoining roles like the SDM's role maybe how do you see SDM role in what the SDM's responsibilities are versus what the TPM's responsibilities are and how murky is the line between the two in your opinion Mario a key difference from my perspective between the SDM and the TPM I'm talking about TPM IC to be clear TPM manager will have certain responsibilities similar to an SDM which comes into the people management role so as a TPM IC you do not have official people management responsibilities and, and what I mean by people Vizra, management is sorry Vizra, when you say IC just for people who don't understand mm-hmm. IC is an individual contributor sure. so you're comparing a, an SDM and a TPM who's an individual contributor, not a TPM who's also managing people. That's how you're comparing Correct. them to you, right? Okay. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So the SDMs have, have engineers reporting to them. TPMs fall back on their influencing without authority toolkit to achieve the similar results, to work closely with engineers. The hiring, grooming, and building an engineering team are important SDM responsibilities. And... TPMs work with the engineering teams which are built by SDMs in order to deliver programs. I have to say in a nutshell, end of the day, the SDM owns engineering the product and they manage operations, building the career for their engineers, talking through them where they want to be, what kind of products they need to be placed in and they will want to work on and generally managing the team resources and core engineering responsibilities. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, pause, PM, uh, let's pause yeah. a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So a couple of things which you said, I want to just drive that a little deeper with our listeners. One is for people who didn't know what an SDM is, I think sometimes I forget that our listeners are from tech and non-tech communities. So SDMs are software dev managers. So we're trying to compare a dev manager and a TPM. And this one did say... Uh, something really important she said an sdm owns the engineering product and also the operations tpm sometimes do play a role in operations but if there is a sev1 or a sev2 all hands on deck 
but it's still the person who's on the line for that SEV1 or SEV2 is the SDM. A TPM would definitely jump in and help with his knowledge, but the person who's completely responsible in getting that mitigated and getting that issue taken care of is the SDM, right? And he, he or she is the person who's building the career for the engineers, planning, making career plans, hiring, firing, performance managing engineers. All that is a software dev manager's job. Is that correct, Viswa? Yeah, you are right, Mario. The only caveat I would call out here is with respect to the operations part. In some organizations and in some companies, TPMs are held equally responsible for these operations too. And so it depends. Like some organizations are operations heavy. And in those areas, TPMs, SDMs, SDs, all of them chime in and share responsibility. In certain areas, it is easier to draw those lines and call out who owns what. So that is one expectation I would like to set for our listeners, just so they yeah. know that this could be an expectation based on where they go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like when I worked at Rapsby, I owned both as a TPM, I owned the entire team, like whatever the team does, right? From setting up their on-call rotation to every on-call issue that comes to actually building the product. And there are also teams at most tech companies which sometimes solely focus on operations you know, which are parallel teams to engineering teams, which just do operations because the sheer amount of operations effort is so high. So it, it really depends on the team for sure. I didn't mean to say that TPMs don't do uh, operations. SDMs generally are more hands-on the operations and generally are the single point of contact for those. Okay, how do you compare the SDMs to the TPMs now? Certainly. So the TPMs are generally focused at the program level and they work closely with the SDMs on the resource allocation. For example, I might be inclined to inviting an engineer who I have worked with and is, has a strong skill set for a particular item repeatedly. But the SDM has a visibility whether that is in the engineer's interest or not. So they would be on point to balance out the team resources and inform the TPM on who's available for what and at what time frame they will be available. TPMs point also, also oppose, yeah. Sorry, sorry to step over mm-hmm. you, Aviswa. And a good point also here is to the same example that Viswa gave, right? An SDM might also be doing career planning with a particular junior engineer, for example, who who's very hungry to do something different, right? Or who's very interested in a particular module which you're going to be touching in your program. So it really comes down, that's why you work with the engineering manager because he has so much more insight into people and where they're trying to get to. And as a TPM, you're trying to encourage those new behaviors by working with your SDM. Right. And also as a TPM, you will be you might be driving roadmaps that span across multiple SDMs. So at this point, you're working across the org and make sure that all these SDMs are aligned on the direction in which the program is going. And you also set expectations higher up with your leadership and in addition other stakeholders who are also interested in the program you're driving. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So having said that, Mario, I'm really glad you asked this question because there is the boundary between these roles often overlaps. In fact, I recently have one of my new TPMs who's joined my team ask a similar question like, hey, where do we differentiate? Like, where do we draw the boundary between the SDM and the TPM? And for that purpose, some teams on Amazon utilize this toolkit called DAC. I'm not sure if I'm saying it correctly. I rather like, is it like spell a it out. It's the DACI. 
like racing. Yeah, racing like is a very common tool which we use to identify mm-hmm. who owns what, who's the owner. I don't even remember what, what the full form for RACI is. I can tell f- you. It's like, yeah, the RACI is responsibility, approver, contributor, and informed. The matrix used inside Amazon is they say it is very similar to the RACI matrix, except for responsibility, it says driver. Because responsibility okay. sometimes is an ambiguous term. If you say SDM is responsible for something, what does that mean? Are they engaging someone else to do that work or are they doing the work themselves or owning the task themselves? So we use something called a DAISY, which says you are the driver. So if I announce you the TPM is the driver, then all ownership is on the TPM to take care of that particular task. Got it. So it's driver, mm-hmm. approver. Approver, contributor, contributor. informed. Okay. Yeah. I'm, informed I'm gonna, I'm... is not a noun. <laughs> yeah. So the people who are listening, there's going to be a transcript of this so that you can look through it. Because I think some of these concepts are really, really interesting. So I'll be most likely publishing a transcript of this podcast so that you can actually come back and use this to take some notes and probably help in your organization as well. So that's a very, very good piece of information. Yeah. And this is utilized, Mario, not just between SDM, TPMs. More often than not, between Product managers, program managers, and TPMs. Even there, you may find some overlapping responsibilities. So having this is not like a prescriptive model, but it is good to have this structure to avoid redundancy. And especially when in the nick of time you want to make decisions, it's better to have a defined protocol on who does what. Exactly. I think that makes a lot of sense, right? You don't want two people trying to do the same work. At the same time, mm-hmm. sometimes you need even a driver can call for collaboration, right? There's definitely a collaborative environment, but at the same time, you don't want to be stepping on each other's toes. Yeah, right. So that's why it's been one year, almost a year since you joined Amazon. What are the tips and tricks you'd give somebody who's moving into a large organization now? Sure, Mario. Yes, it's been one amazing year. For newly hired TPMs, I would say you need to define success in different terminologies versus for TPMs who have been in any new organization or a large organization for a long time. So let me start with the new hired TPMs. For me personally, the first three months, success meant finding my seat through the ramp up process and eventually starting to deliver my the initial set of programs which I started owning. However, for people who have been in an organization for a reasonable amount of time, growth in one's role, which is like moving from level one to level two or level two to senior, that is more objective. So we have a set of role guidelines for each level. And the baseline is for you to meet your level expectations. But for someone who's looking to move into the next level, you want to take a look at the role guidelines for the next level and start positioning yourself to operate in that direction. Start taking in more responsibilities, which will enable you to get to the next level according to what the role guidelines say. In addition to it, a very key part is for people to set up clear goals and success criteria with their leadership team and keep measuring it periodically. Like, for example, for me, I have a measurable set of OKRs, a handful of them for 2020. And I... When you say you have a measurable set of OKRs, these are OKRs which are... Okay, I think I have to go back. When you say OKRs for our listeners, what is an OKR? OKRs are objective key results, Mario. So 
when we set up goals let's say for example i'm going to give a real life example just to make it simple yeah. is yeah, it's measurable a very goal. measurable goal yes which you say hey i'm right now i know where my current baseline is say i'm at 20 measuring anything the way you measure does not change you understand what you're going to measure and what are the knobs you're going to turn to ensure that your measurement goes up or down correct so i'll give you an example a goal can be something like i want to launch product x and that is my goal right that used to be how i set goals yes. many years ago before yes. i got educated on what okrs are and how effective they were but if i were to set an okr from that goal i would say i want to launch product x by a particular date and how i am going to do it right i'm going to go with phase 1 at this time here are my deliverables here are the people i will work with so you break it down and you set intermediate goals also let's say in this month i will have the project plan ready and uh, next month i will have the high level design ready so when you break it down and assign dates and assign measurable outcomes you will be able to gauge how well you have performed towards that particular goal so that is what i mean by uh, that is what i meant by okrs in general and you know it much better than i know mario so feel free to add more <laughs> over here so so from an okr standpoint bisva actually right now the okrs she spoke about was purely from a tpm perspective from a tpm perspective these are my okrs in by which i will evaluate how i've done or how i'm doing or how i'm going to do right and you can have the similar types of okrs when you're launching the product so the launching the product what are the okrs the product is going to drive so if i'm launching product x as was what i was talking about what are the okrs i'm going to measure when it launches because why am i launching a product to do xyz how do you measure xyz and how do you ensure that after the launch it's actually successful and so gauging uh, okrs is a very big concept right now which all tech companies are really doubling down on because it's not just doing something it's doing something and measuring it and continuously measuring it to ensure that we're always meeting that bar right so sorry i cut you off we were talking about tips and tricks you're giving people who are joining large organizations and he spoke about having clear goals periodically measuring yourself having okrs what are the mm-hmm. other things yes so feedback feedback is a very powerful tool in anyone's career and setting up periodic feedback loops with stakeholders with leadership and ensuring the priorities between leadership business and engineering are aligned uh, this is for a tpm right from a tpm perspective it definitely help you be successful help one be successful because you're making sure that everyone is aligned your goals and okrs are all in aligned with what the larger organization and your leadership team is looking for and you are consistently obtaining feedback to iteratively build on top of it and course correct your okrs or course correct your actions which you're taking through the process so if if there's one thing that you'd want to suggest people who are starting out in this role to really embrace what would that be mario if there's one trait that i would say goes a long way and by the way this is something just recommended to me early on when i started at amazon is to embrace ambiguity especially as tpm more often than not you are in uncharted territory and you're paving the path for the industry which does not come with a predefined playbook 
and all you have visibility is into the next step. Tons of information come your way. So learning how to distill that information, extrapolate data sufficient enough to inform you on the decision and move to the next step and repeating this process consistently. This makes a huge difference and it makes all the difference in being a successful TPM at Amazon. Yeah, I think that message can't be driven hard enough because when you start, there's so much of blank space, which you don't know how to do things. You don't, you don't have the organizational know-how of how to operate or how your organization operates. Maybe as you work for a couple of months, even a couple of years, you understand how the system works. But when you're starting out, there's definitely a lot of ambiguity. And I think you have to play the newbie card as often as you can, as quick as you can, especially in the first 30 days, first 60 days. There's no harm in catching people and asking them a ton of questions. Nobody's going to find fault with you. So definitely embrace that ambiguity and stay strong. I think I think it's a very, I wouldn't say hard, but it's a challenging role for a new TPM in any organization. And how many ever years of experience you have? Like Viswa has 10 years of experience. I have like probably 10, 15 years of experience in the TPM field. Even if I go to a new organization, I believe that the first three months or first six months are going to be incredibly hard because the learning curve is so steep. So definitely embrace that ambiguity, as Viswa said, and good luck to you. And thank you for listening in. Thank you, Viswa, for doing this podcast. That was really great and lots of good insight, Viswa. Thank you again for this wonderful opportunity to share my experience, Mario. And special thanks and shout out to you for all the amazing contributions you are making to the TPM community via your blogs and podcasts and website. Oh, thank you so much. This particular idea for this particular podcast came when I was writing my blog on what the first 90 days of a TPM looks like. And that's when I reached out to Viswa to see if she could give us like, what is the first one year look like? at Amazon or any tech company for that matter, right? The first 60 days is definitely uh, 60 days and 90 days, 100 days is definitely a challenging road. And keep that in mind. Also for everybody listening, since we're recording this in in the COVID time, right? Generally, I do my podcasts face-to-face and there are a lot of visual cues you can take from each other when you're sitting across the table. This particular podcast, we were actually recording it over the phone. So that's why there were a couple of times when the audio uh, went in and out. So do bear with us when we're trying to figure all this out. So thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. There are a lot of other new podcasts coming up in the next couple of months. I've got some really great topics lined up. So um, hang in there. Hope all of you are doing well. Catch up with you next time. And thank you so much, Riswa. See you all the next time around. Bye-bye.